Hi, friends. Sarah here with a brief disclaimer. You are listening to a podcast about making space for other people as well as for yourself, which may mean that you're going to hear language and ideas and thoughts, not just about life, but about faith that are different than your own. My hope is that you will listen to this podcast with an attitude of space making, being able to hear things that are different from what you may interpret the world to be. It also may be different than how the hosts feel about the world. But again, we are working together to make a little bit more space for each other. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right. Uh, good morning and welcome to the Making Spaces podcast, a podcast about making space for yourself, both literally and figuratively. I'm Sarah Heath, and this is... Josie Jimenez. And welcome. it is morning time, and we just talked a lot about coffee because both of us have just had some coffee i cannot survive without coffee unfortunately i mean i do feel a sense of pride that you make your own cold brew yes i make my own cold brew concentrate um because i'm lazy and i'm cheap and i'm bougie Those are three of my favorite things. I'm just kidding. Three <laughs> things that don't really I'm go together. <laughs> well, cheap and bougie don't feel like they go together. Well, I'm cheap in that I don't want to pay for like the bottles of cold brew because those are pretty expensive when you they do the are. math. Um, and I'm bougie because I know how to make good coffee. <laughs> yeah, but you actually want the good coffee. So that's the yeah. bougie part probably. Exactly. Like you're not going to just not have a fancy cup of coffee. You're just going to make yeah. the fancy cup of coffee. Right. Um, now that we've got that cleared up, uh, but I thought it was so fun because you were trying to explain to me the size of mason jar I needed. And you knew that I, um, even though I build things and I where I don't understand like ounces, it's not a <laughs> language I speak. And so you were like, it's the wedding size jar, not the pasta size jar. But if yeah. you have the pasta size jar, it was just hysterical because... <laughs> I, I'm like a remedial student when it comes to cooking or making my own things. I, well, I love yeah. the idea of DIY. I want to, but I need DIT, do it together. I need your <laughs> help. I can't do it by myself. Yeah. Um, so how the heck are you? Um, all right. Trucking along. Same old, same old. One year of pandemic-ness. Yep. Thanks, anti-maskers. <laughs> And also, I think the the compounding effect. So I don't know if you feel this, but my friend um, texted me yesterday because yesterday's right is the one year. Something like that. I don't or, really remember. I just know March. Just March in general. <laughs> uh, and he was saying, you know, so many people want us to be act like it's over. Like, oh, we did a year and now it's over. Um, but there is still vaccinations that have to happen. You're vaccinated. I'm not. Um, and how hard that is. It's a really hard experience. I didn't realize how hard it was going to be to be someone who doesn't, who's not in the top tier to get vaccinated. Right. So all of most of my friends who are teachers, nurses, and who first line front row workers, turns out pastors are in the front line, like we're supposed to be, but it's a really hard designation to get. And then I don't want to hop a line. And then folks like you who have pre-existing medical conditions, it's just it's a mess and it makes us, uh, I think someone posted, and I thought this was helpful. The same friend posted, um, we're all, we were all in this together, but we're all going to leave it apart. 
Yeah, I think it's hard because obviously you want everybody to be vaccinated, but also when you have all these West LA, all these Hollywood people like trying to take spots that are for older people or for disenfranchised, marginalized people, and you're like, all right, fuckhead, can you just like hold on a little bit? <laughs> Wait out. I mean, it's hard because also I think about like I, I made a comment yesterday Sometimes I'm an idiot, um, which doesn't surprise you at all. But I made a comment yesterday because my favorite undergraduate basketball team is they had to end their season. Duke had to end their season because one of their players has uh, tested positive. And I said, well, haven't they all had the vaccine? And I was like, wait a minute. Of course they haven't. They're all young, you know, athletes in North Carolina. That doesn't, they're not the top rung either, which kind of made me feel a little bit better in that I was like, oh. That's actually great. And teams are still having to figure out whether or not they're going to be able to play because they're still testing all of them because none of the kids have gotten the vaccine. Yeah. Poor basketball players. Okay. <laughs> you tell I don't like sports. <laughs> I can. Um, uh, and it's fine. Uh, we all have to have our distractions. Yours are plants. Plants? I don't plants. know. You keep plants alive. I can't do that. I don't. I have so many dead plants around me. I uh, have other things to distract me, like sewing. I'm like sewing. I love <laughs> like that about you. Like <laughs> I, on our last episode that aired, I love that we were talking about all your granny hobbies, and you're like, I crocheted all of these pillows behind me because I forgot that you started crocheting. Yeah. I'm a granny. <laughs> I've learned. I know how to. I've known how to crochet since I was a child. I've always been a grandmother. <laughs> you're a <sighs> grandmother. Remember that kid from Vine? Yeah. I'm a grandmother. <laughs> I just forgot we were recording and I just started talking to you. <laughs> anyway, Making Spaces podcast. Uh, yeah, it's been a long week for all of us for lots of reasons. Um, and so it's just really good to be together and to listen to uh, this recording. Um, it was so fun because we recorded this. Um, we took a little break for a while. Um, in case you can't read between the lines, I'm trying to figure out my life uh, as I move past ministry. And so there's been a lot of like places and spaces when I've needed to pause and breathe. And so we did 20 episodes and then took a little break. And we had, did we record Peter before? I think we recorded before we even went on break. Yes, I believe so. We're still mid season two. And his stuff is... Good. So Peter is uh, the executive director of um, Bethany Kids, and we'll talk more about that organization later. But he's also just an incredibly informed um, leader as far as the work that he's doing and uh, why it's important for us to consider missions still to be important. Um, so I listened to this episode, re-listened to it today, and I found myself just being like, yes. And I want to say that you say positive things about your undergrad. I, uh, yes, I liked my undergrad for the most part. I see the flaws, <laughs> I see the cracks in the system and I'm ready to rip them open, but I had fun. <laughs> I just think it's funny because the one before you're like, oh, am I stupid? And then this one you're like, meh, there's some stuff. Yeah, I mean, what I appreciated was that I'm very um, anti-white savior complex, you know? please don't post pictures of a little black kid on your mission trip guys like please that's my kind of mentality um i'm as a photojournalist i wanted to be a photojournalist before um in undergrad and 
I was very adept to, you know, photographing. What what do they call it now? It's um poverty porn. Very, you know, aware of that kind of thing. So I appreciated that Peter was very aware that like, you know, we're not trying to be white saviors here. We're trying to build up the community in the community. You know, I was ready to fight. I was ready to fight. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I also loved his, um, his stance on um, seeing the um, ugly side of progressives who say we can't do the right thing. So we're not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a, it is a complex conversation. And I think both of us went into it like, a little bit skeptical and both of us came out thinking this is a really incredible man and a really incredible organization. And so we hope that you enjoy uh, this week's Making Space episode with Spacemaker, Peter. And I think one of my worries now, like whether it be the, the church or in North America, there's this sense of like, some people are realizing this global aid movement is pretty messed up. So the solution is to give up on being part of the global community, right? And so we feel like we're stuck between either being part of really messed up systems that are colonial, that are racist or whatever, uh, or thinking, oh, I'm going to take the high ground and I just won't help anybody. So now I'm not making any mistakes. And these are the options that we feel like we're presented with. And I think there's a need for us to champion causes like Bethany Kids and like other causes that try to help locally and say, you don't abandon the rest of the world, but you also don't ride in on a white horse. Like there, there is somewhere in between. Hi friends, and welcome to the Making Spaces podcast, a podcast about making space for yourself, both and others, both literally and figuratively. I am one of the co-hosts, Sarah Heath, and this is... The other co-host, Josie Jimenez. Uh, and today we are joined by, and I checked how to say his last name, so I feel good about myself, Peter Lublink, who is the executive director of an organization called Bethany Kids that is making space for kids and for our folks to be able to provide for those kids. We're going to hear a lot more about that organization. We accidentally called it Bethel Kids, and that's a whole nother fish. So... I just discovered something about you, which is I thought you were a Canadian, but you're just living in Canada. No, so I, I am. I am Canadian, but I just moved here last year. So the last eight years of my life, I've been living in the Middle East. As um, one does. So, okay. Yeah, as one does. So just a couple of kilometers north of us was Iraq, and then west of us was Saudi. So like pretty chill place to live. It was cool, good. love it. Yeah. I lo- uh, this is going to be a great conversation. So before we get into it, we have to ask you the uh, question we ask everyone at the beginning of our conversations, which is where is one of your favorite spaces and why? And as I've been Instagram friends with you for a while, I'll let you know that uh, you've been in a lot of places. So good luck yes. choosing one of your favorites and why. Uh, yes, I have been. I think one of my favorite places is a little coffee shop in the country of Kuwait, where I used to live. And it was like, sometimes they sold antiques, sometimes they just served coffee. It had the best cake ever. It had like Persian rugs everywhere. Actually, if I move my head, there's a, that plate on my mantle, that like bronze platter is where they serve the tea on. And I bought it off them. Cause I was like, I love this place and I need something to take with me. Aww. So super cool. Like one of those places where it's just as likely to have like some weird 
crappy souvenir or like a 200 year old Persian rug. You just don't know what's going to be there. So I really, I loved it. I used to hang out there with friends all the time. And so that was my favorite place. Uh, now I guess my basement with that plate is my, <laughs> it's a pandemic. Nobody goes anywhere anyway. So, uh, I sit in my basement a lot. So I guess that's my favorite now. Yeah. Love I that. was explaining to Josie what a basement was earlier as a joke, because <laughs> we don't have basements, which I grew up in Northern Ontario, about an hour mm-hmm. and a half North of Toronto, tiny town. And like, literally the basement is where as a child, you spent most of your time. Like yeah. my grandparents actually said, like, whenever my cousins and I would like tromp in the house, the first thing was like, like go to the basement. Yeah. Yeah. Like don't just, break anything in the adult space. Yeah, go to the basement. Go to the basement. Nothing matters there. That right. So funny. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's like half storage closet, half where the children belong. So yes. it really does tell you something about the value that we place on kids, I guess. It's like, yeah. Go to the basement. Kids. Who needs a- <laughs> yeah, there could be mice, there could be mold, but there will certainly be toys and kids. Yeah. Yeah. So basements also have become like, it's also like a marker of where you are in your mm-hmm. like family. Uh, if, if you want to think about like your traditional family, uh, mm-hmm. it'll start off as sort of like a, a mudroom, a playroom where like nobody cares. And then as the kids get older and you get older, it slowly turns into a hockey watching zone <laughs> where like, like man cave, like is what right. Americans call it, or like a she mm-hmm. shack or whatever. Um, they like, my aunt and uncle, who are two of my favorite humans who live in uh, just outside of Toronto, they have the most decked out basement. They have stadium really? seating for no. movies, Stop. a popcorn maker. She has a craft room and he has a like, uh, he likes to pack his own bullets, which is odd, I know. Um, right. And it's so different. Like bullet, Can- Canadians and guns is so different. Like he literally only has guns that he can use for hunting. And then mm. she has a little area where she like dries the meat and such. Um, wow. Is, but like, it's like the most, he's also an incredible carpenter. So it's beautiful. Right. It is like this beautiful space. And I think I haven't been in a basement and like, if you were to say, Hey, you're going to go stay in my basement. It's like, Oh, you are a serial killer. Mm, but in yes. Canada, look how beautiful yeah. those of you it are listening, be. go check yeah. out YouTube. Cause Peter's basement is worth this entire conversation. It's beautiful. Right. Yeah. Without context, this conversation thus far uh, is tricky to follow, but yeah. Hey, we're talking about space and you kind of have to see it. So yeah, yeah. Get the program get on YouTube, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I just want you guys to know that I made a podcast uh about space and how people need to be in proximity with each other the same month as a pandemic happened so Mm. a visual conversation space about being together which is literally illegal so do you remember that like we used to see people in real life uh, like yeah nope don't remember it don't miss it just kidding (laughs) Josie if she could would like set up a system where only the people she liked would rotate through her living room. Right. Like one at a time at a slow, right. Yeah. Which is funny because I say I don't like people, but I have a lot of friends and yeah. people you like know. you is the problem. But you just keep them at arm's length, I guess. See, the thing is yeah. the first time. So I was supposed to move to Canada in June, right? And I was in Florida in February. Lockdowns already started in the Middle East. So we actually arrived in Canada last day of February, like just a backpack we weren't intending to come to the cold climate we were just like one backpack and then because of the pandemic for the next four months I lived out of that backpack like at other people's homes so 
I kind of, I feel like, I know this sounds terrible, but I feel like I missed the first lockdown because I was staying with other people. I was like, oh, it's not the same. Everyone's like, oh, I'm watching so much on Netflix. I'm like, I don't get that opportunity. So now we're back in lockdown. And I got to say, it's good. I like it. I know that's terrible <laughs> to say because like that is hurtful for a lot of people who are losing business. But honestly, like right now, just sitting in my house is, is okay. It's good now that I'm not living out of a backpack. I agree. Yeah. I like being at home. <laughs> If, if it didn't it's have, thing. if it didn't have the like sadness of like, hey, millions of people right. are losing yes. their lives, being displaced, losing their businesses, and you hate saying it, you hate saying it in public, uh, but it's true. I uh, we've talked many times about how this uh, season has really taught me that I'm an introvert, not an extrovert. Mm. Always thought right. I was. How I am much more someone who just likes. I love travel though. That is mm. the piece that yeah. has been really it's hard missing. for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so. I, I have done a little bit of traveling over the years and I'm definitely missing that. And I'm looking forward to the season when that is possible and safe to do again at some point, whenever that is. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about why you were in the Middle East, what your project is, how it's making space for kids that in a, in a unique way, in a unique way too, partnering with uh, church communities and communities to provide. So talk a little bit about that and then we'll, uh, we'll ask you questions. Right. So uh, in terms of the Middle East, I was there teaching. I taught at a school for the first seven years. Um, and then I also worked in an art studio for the last year, working on like climate change projects with kids. So it's a lot of fun, cool things happening. Uh, I also was working in like communications for NGOs. So I started to meet a lot of really cool organizations. And I came across Bethany Kids a couple of years ago and was like, this is the coolest organization at the time, their logo was horrendous. Like if you Google it and you're interested in aesthetics, it'll make you cry. Uh, it, it was bad. And I, I felt like it was one we of those organizations. laughing only <laughs> because as people who work um, a lot of times in progressive uh, right. spaces, people, we just don't spend time on design. So we're not laughing <laughs> at you. Right. We're, we're feeling just your so pain. relatable. Feeling it. Right. <laughs> Listen, it was like, it, it was, it was bad. But it was like a brilliant story, like incredible, like things happening, but the way it was communicated was a bit messy. Anyways, I started working with them and I'm so pumped The it started with uh, the last 20 years, they've been providing surgeries for kids. So that's the big push is we pay for surgeries across seven different countries. We make sure kids who can't afford care can access health care. Uh, we also uh, train surgeons so that there are more surgeons to do those surgeries, uh, specifically surgeons who are trained in pediatrics. So they're trained to work with kids. So we'll train the pediatric surgeon. We'll give them like a top up salary. So no matter when they return to their home country, they're getting they're getting a fair wage and they're not just like having to live in poverty just because they want to help people. So we take care of them. Any kid who can't afford care, we take care of them. And then a lot of children, like even after the surgery, you know what I mean? Like it's still, there's still some hoops to go through. So uh, whether that be rehab or wheelchairs, whatever it is to try to get that kid back into a space where they're able to access schooling, able to play with their friends, whatever it is that we need to do to help them get there, that's what we're working on. So you create the communication between, um, you are now doing 
their communications uh, and your executive directing and you're making sure that the story is being told? Is that kind of? Yeah, that's right. Because a lot of the program stuff just happens beautifully like from the ground up. So they don't need some white guy in North America to be like, hey, here's how you should do surgery. Like not a <laughs> surgeon. So I have no idea. That's a bad idea for me to tell them how to do it. And it's the same with rehab and how to like make culturally appropriate like programs that that is best left to the people on the ground. Uh, what I'm trying to do in my role as executive director is really relay what's happening there in terms of story to the West and then where possible kind of get donors and supporters and people who want to partner up uh, and get them to connect with our, our teams across Africa. So uh, I become for now at least this kind of middle person trying to redirect money. I'm happy to take anyone's money and redirect it to Africa. That's, that's my gig, I guess. <laughs> I make space for your wallet to have money. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, um, first of all, what a great organization providing medical care for children. Thank you. I'm wondering what does it look like? So you train doctors from all over the world or in that nation? What does that look like, the training yeah. process? So right now we recruit surgeons from all across Africa because we're accredited to do pediatric surgery in Africa right now. So we have surgeons that come across from any country they, they happen to be from. They come, we train them in Kenya, depending on how long they need the training, like three to five years-ish, depending on their previous experience. Uh, and then they're now an accredited pediatric surgeon and they can, if they choose, they can return to their home country. If they do make that choice to say, hey, I'm going home, I want to take care of my people, um, that's when we'll say, listen, what do you need from us? Like, how can we continue to support you beyond the training? So that's when we give like top up to their salary. And then any child who can't afford care at their hospitals will take care of that as well. So that now you kind of, it's more local, right? It's not just a Western surgeon in someone else's country, but it's a local surgeon in their home country serving their own people, which we think is, is kind of the better way to roll. You're speaking my language here. Sustainable, charitable work. Wow. Yes, right. I love it. Yeah. It's making space for someone to care for their own community. And oftentimes mm. um, I worked with an organization in Uganda and they had such a fantastic way of thinking through this. Like um, it really becomes colonialism when mm. we just show up and say, I know what you need. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. And we're so good at that, guys. We yeah. love, I call it poverty tourism. We right. love a selfie with a, you know, a, a village mm -hmm. full of people. Right. Um, but there is something to be said, more than something to be said. It's absolutely imperative that the folks who are getting trained to do this work, so the organization I went with, uh, their whole thing was just creating community leaders from within. Mm -hmm. And exactly what you're talking about is so important because they would get kids and they would send them to these colleges and they would help them get through. And mm -hmm. then they would uh, incentivize staying within their own community right. um, because mm -hmm. otherwise what happens is this, they call it the brain drain where people yeah. just um, leave mm. and there's no hope within the community. So if you have right. entrepreneurs who can't create jobs within their own spaces and places, they can't take that gift that you've given. And if you like are a nerd like me and you follow like the hero's journey by, mm. um, uh, Joseph Campbell, you know that like one of the most transformative thing that's happened in the community is when people get knowledge and bring it back. So right. it's such a great model to yeah. do that and to not abandon, not to give someone a really expensive education mm. and then say, but you're going to, as you said, live in poverty. So you're making right. a choice between your people and this. So it really does make yeah. a, 
sustainable space. Um, I hope so. And I, th I think the word you said is, is critical. It's that incentivizing because mm -hmm. it's great for us to say, hey, now you're a surgeon. And they're like, well, you know what I could make if I moved to Canada as a surgeon a lot more. So like, I'm not like, and that's tempting. And, and, and all of us feel that we want to have livelihoods. We want to pay for our mm -hmm. stuff. We want to be able to eat and feed families. So if we can incentivize so that it's affordable and uh, appropriate levels of income for these surgeons right. to serve their home community. So what we do is how, how we figure it out is whatever the average pediatric surgeon in that country gets, we figure like at their starting salary should be at least 30% above that. And then beyond that for any year of service. So whatever they get at a local hospital and whatever 30, 40% is above that, we will make sure that that difference gets covered. So if your local hospital is paying you this and we're like, yo, we, we, want, we want you to live sustainably. So we will top up the difference. So for all of our surgeons, we, we start by giving a top up salary based on whatever you get locally, and then make sure you're, you're getting a competitive solid wage so that um, you don't have to live in poverty to, to serve your community. Because many people around the world, particularly in the West, like, you know, organizations, head office folks will live in, in relative affluence, but then expect frontline workers to live in poverty. And what we want to make sure is that our, our, the people who make it happen, the surgeons are being paid and treated well. And then any kid who gets there, if they can't afford care, again, we pay for that. Yeah. I love that. It's a, um, it's a difference between doing uh, mission work at people and with people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, it really makes us feel quite good to mm. go in and decide and define and uh, yeah, really say, okay, well, this is, whereas a local person knows their community so much better and mm. it makes it makes total sense for them to make their own space and to define right. their own boundaries. And yeah. um, it's just such an exciting thing to hear. And that's why we we're excited to have you on because there Thank is you. this sense of like, how can we um, make space for other people that isn't our space? So oftentimes, mm. um, so many of my friends have talked about, so it was Korean American day the other day. And two of my, three of my actually really good friends who I am in a little chat group with, they're Korean, um, they are all, people who were adopted um, from Korea right. and have a very difficult, you know, they were joking around about Korean American day, but this like, oh, thank you. They were joking with us. Thanks white saviors for coming and <laughs> getting us. Um, right. Actually, one of them is not adopted. Two of them are adopted. One of them is American. Um, and it was such an interesting thing for me to think about uh, this, even this idea that this pushback that's happening mm. a lot because kids do need medical care. You know, I have yeah. friends mm -hmm. who have adopted kids that were in difficult situations mm. um, and couldn't afford the medical care. And so the only choice is for them to leave their culture and community yeah. and then come to somewhere that they do not fit. Um, right. My friend is having the pain of she said, you know, my son sits in a class where he's the only Eastern African kid mm. and even in our family. And uh, she, he had a, his first teacher that looked like him. Mm. And he said to his mom, I'm beautiful. Like miss, whatever is beautiful. And she was like, yes, she was so like She's crying. Like, yeah. yeah. Yes. And um, he's actually severely autistic. And so mm. for her, that moment of like his connection to that, we, yeah. I think so often we think we've got this culture that you, you should want to be this, which is mm. not. It's, it's dangerous, right? It's narcissistic. Mm -hmm. It's colonial. It's yeah. it, racism is in there, like all sorts of factors. 
And our, our assumption is best case scenario is if I can take you from your family and raise you myself, that's our basic assumption. I could do a better job than you can raising your own child. And our whole kind of adoption model aid model is based around that assumption rather than saying, hey, listen, I'm pretty sure these parents love their kids the same way any parent loves their kids. That is, some of them are amazing. Some parents are less helpful with their kids. Like there's just variety. It's not homogenous. So why not try to resource the people, like the families, right? Try to help them, try to eliminate the obstacles that they face. That's just a better system than like handpicking. This is a cute kid I'm going to keep for myself. Oh, oh, yep. oh he's preaching. I mean, that's he's toxic. Preaching. That's Right, that's messed up. It's really like, and I think one of my worries now, like whether it be the, the church or in North America, there's this sense of like, some people are realizing this global aid movement is pretty messed up. So the solution is to give up on being global part of the global aid. community, yeah. right? And so we're, we feel like we're stuck between either being part of really messed up systems that are colonial, that are racist or the whatever, uh, or thinking, oh, I'm going to take the high ground and I just won't help anybody. So now I'm not making any mistakes. And these are the options that we feel like we're presented with. And I think there's a need for us to champion causes like Bethany Kids and like other causes that try to help locally and say, you don't abandon the rest of the world, but you also don't ride in on a white horse. Like there, mm. there is somewhere in between. Goosebumps. Right? I literally have goosebumps as you're talking because that's absolutely my heart. Yes. Yeah, it's it, we we've got to be involved. Like we're part of a global community, all of us. We we ha we've got to love our neighbors regardless of what continent they live on. But that doesn't yeah. mean that we get to be the saviors who um, who who do very toxic and dangerous things, right? Yeah, and this mentality is something that we should think about locally, right? Like in the United States, like this right. idea that oh, I'm in the context of Los Angeles because I'm very passionate about Los Angeles. Like, <laughs> oh, Echo Park is the ghetto. So I, as a white person, I'm going to go in, mm. fix it up, make it expensive so everybody else has to leave and all the white people can move in. Right. Like that's a lesser but still very impactful form of colonialism. Like mm. you move Same in. model, right? Yes, exactly. And I mean, people are... Christians especially are very quick to go to an orphanage in Africa, hold a cute little baby, mm -hmm. take a cute little picture, yeah. but give zero shits about systemic racial inequality. In right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> It's like I flew all the way across the, the world to Africa to realize that a black kid was cute, but I'm definitely going to cross the street if I see a black kid coming towards me. And you're like, you know, you want to like process that a little bit and see <laughs> the double standards, right? The hypocrisy. Um, yeah, there's, there's, something, there's something tragic about that. And I think um, it's the sort of not in my backyard culture where it's like cute and keep it over there. If you're in my neighborhood, you're going to have to look like me, dress like me, behave like me in every way. Um, yeah. And that just it's power right like at the end of the day it's our power it's narcissism it's thinking that we always have the right way our culture and systems are the best things um, and we've got to shake ourselves of that because that that is holding us all back mm -hmm. I actually had the strangest thought as you were talking about this uh I couldn't name why the movie Black Panther uh hit me in a way I watched it twice in the theater 
Um, and then I was at Disneyland, uh, remember Disneyland guys, um, which was not like, (laughs) I'm not like a huge, I'm not like a huge Disney person, but I do, I enjoy going with friends and love Disneyland. Absolutely. Um, I think we can give them a pass. It's yeah. So I was in the line and this little boy, black kid with his parents, um, he was wearing a black Panther shirt and he was tiny and his Mm -hmm. sister was adorable. And he his dad was like, he's clearly, you could tell we had been in the line for a while that he had to go potty, you know, mm. typical oh. doing the potty dance. Right. His dad was like, all right, bud, like, we're going to, we're going to go to the bathroom. Looks at his wife, going to go to the bathroom. Little boy, it goes Wakanda forever and goes <laughs> to the bathroom. And I thought, why is it that that made me want to weep? Right. And I realized it was because in that movie, there was no sense of white hero there was the truth mm. a little bit of the truth was told even obviously yeah. it's like a, a story but the idea that this is like the birthplace of civilization mm. so why wouldn't it be like the most technologically advanced right yeah and, and for someone to have people that look like them right uh, representation is so important for this little guy to go that's my superhero now mm. obviously it, people are going to say well then do we have to have every kind of you can like be excited about female superheroes if you're a boy and right. whatever you don't have, sure. but when you've been so underrepresented, like mm. under, like I'm imagining the effects at seeing a surgeon that looks like you speaks right. the same language as you. Yeah. Um, when you yourself are so, you haven't seen it before. I, I experienced right. that as a female leader. Uh, mm. Someone will say, I've never thought I could lead before. Right. And then they look Which is a like, wild thing to consider. It's like, wait, so you never thought you'd had any influence over your peers and could teach them important lessons. Never occurred to us because of our systems and culture. Yep. I mean, you're because you've nailed it, right? Like it is so toxic mm-hmm. um, that a kid would think, oh, the person helping me has to be white um, because that's what the white folks do. And black people are the ones receiving the aid. And I think your comment on Black Panther is so brilliant because many of the black heroes that we've had on television or on movies are often people who overcame tragedy, overcame whatever. And there's still this com- kind of like underdog story. Right. And then you get Black Panthers like, so I'm the king of the most powerful <laughs> nation on earth, right? And, <laughs> right? Like that's a different narrative altogether where it's not like this underdog kind of story. It's like, no, this is the boss. This is, and this is a new story too, because I think, when I see a lot of like how we're responding to culture right now, there's like, we could rebrand a white hero as a black person. And that's really going to be brilliant. And that's our, that's the way that we've approached it. We're like, Hey, is there any like famous story we could redo with black characters? That'd be grand. And you're like, actually one for me, one of the things about black Panther that profound is like, it didn't replace white Panther. It wasn't like, Oh, we had a white one. Let's see how the black dude does. It's pink like, Panther no, this, is not black. <laughs> yeah. There's pink Panther. Like th- this is just, this is the story. This is the beginning of the story. And, and there's no other, um, it's not like, Oh, there was a white guy who did it. Now we're going to have, no, this is just a iconic character. Who's the King, right. Who leads a powerful nation that, as you said, is technologically advanced. It's beautiful because it's hopeful. Right. right. And mm-hmm. it, it creates a, a new kind of, uh, sense of hope for people. And I think that's very true at very measurable levels, whether it be the surgeon, whether it be the teacher, whoever it is, whether you're talking about LA where, you know, if we're investing in 
I don't know, like paying teachers fair salaries who work in these communities, who are from these communities at a very basic level, like that we're, we're creating heroes, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we all look up to people. Um, and and in the, as the church, we, we've done a pretty bad job of that because like, you know, you've got church, uh, my wife and I were talking today, like church planters that, you know, in the nineties, you had to have like the goatee and, uh, and then we lost the goatee, maybe a big bushy, but it's a dude, right? It's a white guy who like drinks a lot of coffee and is like super Now he might cool. be a little like into whiskey and that's like, I'm claiming right. my freedom in Christ and I do a lot right. of crunches. I do a <laughs> right. lot of crunches. Yeah. But there's like, right. It's, there's a picture of it. And instinctively, you're like, oh, we're recruiting this church planter guy. And it's like, oh, there it is, guy. Like, it's going mm -hmm. to, we've created the archetype in our head. Right. And so when a woman who's a powerful leader shows up, it's like, well, there's just something different about, like, it doesn't <laughs> quite fit what we're expecting, right? And, and yeah, this, it's, the, it's the systemic thing that I think we need to be championing. And, and I love the, the phrasing here around making space. Um, and, and actually kind of shoving aside and be like, yeah, we got to make space for some people at this party if it's going to be a good one. Yeah, making space exactly. is stepping aside. Is stepping yeah. aside and saying, oh, um, and I am reminded of the white woman hero thing, even mm. uh, how much even misogyny and racial identity has played into, it's, even, it's in all of us. If we're honest, yeah. if we are there it's in us in a way that um if we can admit it instead of saying i've reached a point i think yeah. a progressive choice church sometimes can say i'm good i got it i have yeah. like i've got my black friend mm -hmm. they're great um i've got you know i've collected my my lesbian friend i've got all my tokens right? i've collected them all bingo i got it right um but i think the reality is is that we can always be asking ourselves have i gotten out of the way have I, um, yeah, have I asked the question of, can someone from within this own community do it themselves? And that's what I loved about, I had gone on a mission trip to Uganda before with a, a large mega church from here in this area. Mm. And I'd had, they're wonderful people with great hearts, right. great hearts, but it was in some aspects, poverty tourism. Mm. And I, I felt very sick to my stomach after studying with Willie Jennings, who's a professor, uh, Dr. Jennings is this phenomenal professor of lecture studies. And there mm -hmm. was something I could tell, you know mm -hmm. how you can just tell you're like, something yeah. feels wrong. It feels mm -hmm. like really wrong. And there were things like we watched the Jesus film guys with all the yeah. white Jesus, with all the white Jesus is yeah. it's so mm -hmm. weird. Um, I, I, there's somewhere about getting to the, like as, as progressive lefty kind of people, it's easy for us to judge the conservative folks, but I like what you're saying that they come with it with a big heart. And I think we've got to acknowledge that and say, like, we need that heart. And honestly, uh, we need that generosity, because if you look at who's writing checks for mission yep. organizations, it continues to be like our conservative friends. So, yep. like, they are stepping up to the plate when it comes to donating and showing love in that way. But there's a missing piece there, right? Like, they're maybe choosing the wrong organizations. Maybe there's systemic racism that they didn't notice. Right. So, so, you know, when we're coming before we had that like dichotomy between like some of us on, on, on a more progressive sense are like, well, then just don't do it at all. And you're like, well, actually, that's not the right choice. Or just make fun of the people who do it wrong. Also not helpful, Ooh. right? Ooh, yeah, that's a that's a really excellent space making is not about 
just pointing out who's doing it wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Because that's easy, real yeah. easy, uh, of being like, well, I'm glad that like I can identify everyone else's faults, uh, and and I'll just be perfect by not giving anywhere, <laughs> and then, like that's the safe goal. That's the safe one, right? Um, I, I we we can do better. I guess at the end of the day, like we can do better, and we can learn from each other better, and be less. Uh, less narcissistic, all of us mm -hmm. thinking that we've got it figured out entirely. And like, we know everything because that it keeps coming back to that, whether we're identified as progressive or, or our conservative friends, like everyone seems to think they, they know what's right. And, and that is where it starts as the problem thinking you've got it figured out. That's where racism, sexism, all that stuff begins thinking me and the people who look and sound like me are the right ones. And everyone else is a, a shadowy reflection of that. Ooh. Yeah, I feel so fortunate because I mean, I went to a small Christian university, APU, mm -hmm. shout out to APU. And Shout out to the alumni up there. There's a lot. Yes. It's a scary, scary cult. We can talk about it offline, Peter. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm concerned how many people I meet that right. we're cool. It's went pretty to intense. Okay. All right. Um, but the one, AP does a lot wrong. But yeah. <laughs> I was really fortunate. I actually worked in the Center for Student Action in college, which is like the missions organization. Mm -hmm. And the conversation that we're having about we can judge all we want, but that's not going to fix anything. Right. It's a good conversation, I think. And it's one that I now realize I've had since college um, in this organization. If you signed up to go on a they called it an action team because mm -hmm. mission trip was a weird connotation right um if you signed up to go on an action team you were required to go through this like series of education mm -hmm. uh educational like events and retreats and stuff that taught you why we're not going to go fix the world you're going to mm -hmm. and we only partnered with certain organizations yeah. we partnered with organizations that weren't doing this whole colonialism model mm -hmm. And the students were only going there because they either needed extra hands or mm -hmm. in the case of one team, one team went to Nam Namibia and it was a team full of software engineer students right. to help build their medical software infrastructure. Right. Yeah. Um, Cause they just needed extra yeah. bodies. They needed a specific skill and they had mm -hmm. it. So done. That's partnership. Right. And so I feel like I'm fortunate and that's probably one of the best ways I think to go about it. Cause it's not like they really shoved it down your throat. Like these people are bad or the mm. other organizations were never really mentioned. It's just, mm. this is the way that we found is best Yeah, and teaching them and enabling them to go on these trips and I supporting like them all the way through. You came back, you did a debrief and mm. somebody would from the school would actually visit each of the sites to make sure that shit was not, you know, going awry. Not mess. Every year. Yeah. So it was like this cool model of we're going to try to do it right and we're going to yeah. fix it if we're not doing it right. Yeah. Which is, I feel like, what we should all be doing. Absolutely. Critical thinking. Critical thinking, right? Like the assumption that we can do it better. We're not saying we can do it perfectly, but we can do it better. And if every time we're getting better, I love that because even at a university level, teaching that to students. Um, that like, you know, you don't need to go and build a school and take the job away from a local tradesperson. Exactly. Um, like, the, and that's become almost the, the trope as, as non-Christians look at the church, like, oh, missions trips. And, and it's become a joke rather than like, here are these folks, like the heart of these kids, I hope, and the heart of the organization behind it is to, is to go around the world and make it a better place. That's the assumption. Right. But right, because right. of how we've done it, it comes across as a joke. 
of poverty tourism of like, okay, who's going to take, take turns holding this cute baby. And then we'll put it on Instagram. Like it just, it's, it gets toxic. I like what you're saying that there's, they were trying to do it better. And I think there are people out there trying to do it better. And, and coming back to our black Panther reference, like we need models of things that are better than what we've got right now. It won't mm -hmm. necessarily be perfect, yeah, but yeah. we like enough with critiquing things like that's cool. We could do it. It's super easy. And like, let's find and make better things. Right. I mean, you can sit around and say this room, does, we're talking about space, this room decor is terrible. Okay. Well at some right. point change the furniture, right? Like yeah. make it better get them on stair or something. I don't know. <laughs> I yeah. think there's this uh, really, I, I understood for the first time um, sort of what I'd, I struggled with when I moved from uh, Canada to the US, um, Josie, uh, for a minute, just hold on. This is Peter and I talking about our people. Um, wow. I grew up in a culture that defines itself by not being another culture. Mm. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, you know, from literally when we travel, we have a Canadian because we look American. Right. And Americans like to think that Canadians are American, but we're American not liked. Right. Right. In fact, we are proudly not. Right. It, it's our whole thing. It's, it's literally our, our literally defined. our thing is yeah. we are not Americans. We know how to travel. Mm -hmm. We are not like destroying the world. Yeah. We don't run around with guns. We have all these like opinions about Americans. Mm -hmm. Right. We, we had this thing when I moved the sass that I got from people that I like love and adore. They're like, mm -hmm. why would you move there as if you were mm -hmm. moving it like when in with your like teenage relative? Like, don't right. <laughs> do you know what Americans are like? Yeah, but, don't move in the math lab. Bad choice. Move into the math Amen. Lab. Um, <laughs> but I remember thinking, what feels so weird? And what felt so weird is our culture can't be defined by not being another culture we have to mm -hmm. know who we are at some point yes. you stop defining yourself and i and this is the same critique i have with my own denomination and why i, I pushed and worked to say who are we then great mm -hmm. i get we're not the mega church awesome right. good for you who right. are we and yeah. i think as one of the things that, that's been fun and part of the canadian um canadian organization here and um in uh, the LA and area, which is so fun because even like during the pandemic, they have Canadians that like <laughs> different people like Ryan Gosling came and spoke like doing these online things because right. they're all these Canadians that live in LA oh, yeah. or uh, have a house in LA or however it might be. Mm -hmm. But it's been fascinating because I think people are starting to try to feel it. What does it look like to have pride in who you are not in opposition of others? Yes. Because there's such a cultural thing of defining ourselves against. And I love this idea mm. of, if we're gonna talk about like, it's okay to like critique crappy mission work and to say, yeah. and to admit that we've all done it, but to admit yeah. that it's a step in the right mm -hmm. direction. Because yes. to just exactly what you're saying, say, okay, well now I'm just gonna like laugh at the these people mm. who are doing it. At least they're doing something. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, versus getting, well, I don't wanna get anything wrong. And I think, there is some, yes, cancel culture is a thing and mm -hmm. there's some like legitimacy to that, but yeah. then also then how are we going to be the opposite of that, which right. is a, which is a creation culture. If there's mm -hmm. can cancel culture, there has to be a creation culture yeah. one that um, says, okay, then let's make something better instead yeah. of just sitting back. And that's often my critique too of deconstructed Christians as they just mm -hmm. sit and throw 
rocks at the thing that they hated and that did traumatize them. Mm. But I feel like that's a stage. Yeah, it's not where you stay. No. And, and it's not a place, to, it's a place where maybe we've all come through and it's a place of maybe mourning and grieving, yes. but it's not a place of like pridefully pointing, being like, haha, now I'm out of it. It's like, no, 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 you're, you're still in it, right? You're still in process, right? Mm -hmm. and, and until you start making the new thing, again, we said that earlier about uh, donors, um, sometimes we're like, oh, I'm against missions because it's this, this, that. It's like, or is it just because you're lazy and cheap? Like maybe just do some reflection. <laughs> Ooh, burn. Right? Do you know what I mean? Because it's like good for you. You can critique. We can all critique churches and organizations. So so make it better, right? Like genuinely, and I, and I mean that about everything. That could be about music, about art. Um, the yes. amount of people who, in any field, are like, oh, it's all. Oh, pop music today is terrible. Oh, yeah, I haven't heard your latest album. Well, I haven't made one because, like, <laughs> yeah. oh, odd. <laughs> well, that, that's interesting, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, moral of the story, everybody. Um, open up your wallets and donate to Bethany. What are you right. doing? Do or do me. something, right? Like, do something <laughs> and, and rather than critiquing everyone, mm -hmm. um, because I, I think, as you said a moment ago, like, at least those folks are trying. Mm -hmm. And I think we can, like, even, I see it in a political sense, you know, uh, America did just have a bit of an election, which as a Canadian, Ooh, I probably yeah. shouldn't wade too much into. Oh, uh, yeah, please. But I mean, it's tempting. Uh, but, but you certainly see like even candidates who I'm like, oh, I kind of like that person. It's like, I wish you'd stop talking about your opposition and start talking about what makes me hopeful mm -hmm. for what you have. That, so, is, that is my friend's biggest critique. Mm. Uh, and I think it's a really good one. This right. isn't someone who I would have considered apolitical for so long. Um, he's like, I don't care that you're not Donald Trump. Mm. I don't care. Like I do. Like care. most people aren't. Like right, the right. vast most majority are of not, planet is, fact, are not him. Except for like the people that he birthed. Um, <laughs> right. Most people are not. And so I just want to know what you're actually about. And I'm so right. sick of hearing that you're this. And I thought, I was like, well, we need to like, and then I thought, you know, you're right. Mm. Uh, one of the reasons why I like Pete Buttigieg is I feel yeah. like I actually know what he thinks about things. Right. Yeah. Um, he's and he's I, casting some kind of vision that you're like, right. do mm -hmm. I like your vision? Is it, you've painted a picture of the world for me. Do I want to live in it? Yep. I, I want politicians to do that. Whether they be Republican or Democrats, I want you to create for me visually or metaphorically what kind of world are you creating and, mm -hmm. and how are we going to get there uh and some people do that really well aoc is another word she's like yep. so here's a big like 50 year plan you're like whoa like big dreams like mm -hmm. hope for the future that's interesting haven't seen that in a while like and yep. i think that's the same with a church that's the same that's why yeah. making space is about casting a vision for it and then mm. knowing whether it's your vision or your vision does this step aside and let someone else decorate the space. It's just yeah. admitting that this is, uh, this is not a thing in opposition of, and sometimes no. there is the need for opposition. I'm not saying we don't right. critique and I'm not saying right. we don't call people to accountability and things like that. Absolutely. But I don't think our only stance and our only um, creative divine mm -hmm. spark comes yeah. from throwing rocks at other people. We, so. we have to stand for so. more than what we're against, absolutely. And that that is true in all senses of it. We've uh, got to be standing for something. Next t-shirt, we have what? to stand for more than what we're against. Let me right. write that down. Yeah, make that. We, just so you know, we literally make t-shirts. <laughs> make a lot of t-shirts all uh, the time. I love it. We have uh, uh, 
lots of them. <laughs> I, I'm, uh, I've kind of been absorbed into the wear a lot of the same colors culture. So when it comes to shirts, it's like, what gray shirt should I wear today? So I lack any creative spark when it comes to my shirts. I only wear white shirts. Don't worry right. about it. She <laughs> literally only wears white. Right. It, yeah. Somehow I'm like, I'll, I'll express my creativity some, some other way. I think for me, part of it started with the traveling where when you're traveling and you're like, so I can have two shirts uh, and they're going to fit in the backpack and I'm going to be on the road for two or three months. So uh, I better be comfortable wearing this shirt every day. And I, I need people to not realize it's the same shirt, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how can I, so I'll keep it basic. I'll keep it plain. I yep. love it. Um, this has been such a fantastic conversation that I could go on forever. I, I've had goosebumps so many <laughs> times time. in this conversation. Thank you so much. And we will have links to be able, and we'll talk in just a minute, how to get in touch with you. But the final question that we ask everyone is if someone is wanting to make space for themselves or others in a tangible way, starting today, what is that one thing you would say is a way to make space um, today? I, I think the heart of it is like just listening to others, just listening, uh, like we're doing today, like people need to do more of listening to people who are different than you. Um, Cause that it's in those moments you realize um, you don't own the table, uh, you don't own the space mm -hmm. and, and right. And there's an awareness that grows. So we do need to pause and actually just pay attention. I think that's the biggest thing we can do it, whether it be global missions or local community, we, we've got to start paying attention to other people where, and where they're at. Oh, I yeah. absolutely agree. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, how can people get in touch with you or your organization or whatever you would like to share in this moment? Absolutely. So we have a website. I mean, because it's not 1980. So we do have a website. So bethanykids.org. You can check it out. Uh, we're on Instagram. So uh, bethanykids.ig. We couldn't get bethanykids. Someone else had it. So bethanykids.ig is our Instagram. You can connect with us there. Um, we have like, we started recruiting ambassadors from all across North America, people who represent this cause and are helping to champion it. So if people are like, hey, I wanna like participate, I wanna get involved, but like, I don't know how, there, there are ways to get involved like that ambassador program. So check us out online. Uh, if you fill a contact form, it comes straight to me. We're not a huge organization. <laughs> so like, if you wanna talk to me, just fill out a contact form, find me on Instagram. I'm happy to chat. Oh, yeah. thank you so much. And now how can people get in touch with us, Josie? You yeah. can find us on Instagram at Making Spaces Podcast. You can find us on our website, makingspacespodcast.com, where there are links to our YouTube, Patreon, merch, etc. Um, and you should check out our Patreon and merch because they're pretty dope. Uh, you can find me at Josie Takes the World, and you can find Sarah at Rev Sarah Heath. Well, thank you for joining us, friends. We will see you next week where we will be saving a space for you. Bye. Bye. Space makers, if you're like me, you like to have an accessory that stands out. So for me, I like a big, bold earring. And that's why I love the work of my co-host. She has an incredible handmade jewelry line made from recycled and repurposed leather. We are all about repurposing, friends. Her work you can find on Instagram at thejshop.thej. J, just the letter, J. 
You can also find her work at etsy.com slash shop slash shop the J. And when you check out, use code MAKINGSPACEPOD for 15% off your purchase. I'm telling you, these are my favorite earrings, and they're such a statement piece, and people will be definitely making space for you in these.